0: Welcome back to the Guru's Dead podcast. I am your host, Marcus Wu. This week is part two of my conversation with Ryan Nakade, where we dive into the intersection of Me Too with sex scandals in spiritual communities and the implications of that for Guru Student Dynamics. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you do, let me know in the comments because Ryan and I are thinking about starting our own podcast, talking about issues related to current events, but through a contemplative lens and also hosting guests. So let us know. In any case... This is part two of my conversation with Ryan Nakade. Enjoy.
1: Was reality shaped by wills at Schopenhauer Which inspired Nietzsche's own will to power Become the ubermensch and not a coward Aspire to the higher, don't follow the herd But though life is hard, said Kierkegaard. Be an existentialist, wave a fist to God The journey to modernity, we're breaking through tradition With Nietzsche, Marx, and Freud They're the masters of suspicion Romantic sentimentalist, or a transcendentalist Emerson and Thoreau, inspired environmentalists And came utilitarians, radical consequential. Stuart Mill and Dentham. Ethics reinvented for pragmatists, Dewey Purse and William James. Practical application was the name of the game, not just abstract bullshit of days gone past. In the new world America, freedom at long last
2: I was talking to my mom right before you called about the Shambhala scandal. Yeah. Yeah, and um and we were just talking a little bit about how many like I can't even keep track of how many scandals there were in, in just like a good like a zen and like another one bites the dust as my dad says
0: yeah so what'd your what'd your mom say she's not surprised she's surprised is she kind of like oh no just another one you know
2: yeah she's just like oh man like what it, she, well her, her comment was like we need to put women in, in these positions so that because they don't have like sex scandals at least but you know when you're in the shambhala tradition especially in the chogyam trimpa and there's a fine line between sex scandal and dharma practice so you know and asking for it the
0: whole tantric stuff is very dangerous it sort of tempts that right but i mean i think that's also you're seeing like an intersection of you know this these new power movements right as as me too me too new power movement and these old traditional you know patriarchal um, kinds of structures whether or not they're religious or not i mean obviously tibetan buddhism is very patriarchal it's extremely hierarchical as well and the clash of these two new power structures, I think, is also really interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah. All, all juicy topics that that are ripe for discussion. Every spiritual tradition that has this model in which you're susceptible to a cult of personality phenomena is you, you're just setting yourself up for a disaster. You're setting yourself up for disappointment because you're putting all of your eggs in one basket of spiritual authority. And it's not the 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 power as in spiritual wisdom and knowledge is not being evenly disseminated throughout the community. It's not decentralized. It's centralized in one sole figure. And if that person doesn't live up to his omniscient reputation of being impeccable, morally and spiritually impeccable, then you're going to be screwed. And so it's like, it'll be interesting to see now with Shambhala how they respond to this and how they deal with it and how they recover from that. And my mom was saying that Uh, what's kind of an emerging i guess you would call it kind of new power um structure that's that's coming up in the zen world is is like students rights and having kind of the uh what's the word um security like backup measures in place should something go wrong which is to me really unfortunate that people even have to think like that right it's like this is this is spiritual you know this is a spiritual world where the entire premise of it is based on the antithesis of having a sex scandal where you're trying to Overcome all of these things, and the fact that you have to have these backup measures in place, such as the students have a place to go if the entire sangha collapses, if your guru has a sex scandal, so you know people can be like, oh yeah, we know you can go over here, so you're not going to like starve on the street. <laughs> um, so so these kind of things, these kind of practices are are emerging to try to, I guess, not so much distribute power yet, but more just to have backup, and it's just like, oh man. You have to have a backup to this, like what the hell? It's enough of an issue where it's, you have to acknowledge it you have to have
0: a backup plan. So a backup in the sense of protocols you know to for the whole community to do once you know their teacher gets exposed for a sex scandal, or is it like exactly backup
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> then what you do or like the whole everyone it, just like a protocol <laughs> I, I think it's i think it's I think it's
2: both, but especially the latter
0: right for victims uh, directly abused or something
2: right yeah but also in general i mean because people will be even if they're not directly a victim of the scandal you're still affected by it if you're in that intimate setting and the whole structurally the whole thing collapses then then you need a backup plan too which is i think i think that whole thing is is it's is you're trying to work with a broken system right you're trying it's called piecemeal change it's not systemic change it's not totally revolutionizing you're trying to it's like kind of like obamacare you're trying to work within a
0: broken system
2: and it's, 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 it's not going to work
0: it's a patch it's a band-aid so what do you think what would, would be a, a systemic change that would
2: i well i think i think part of it is i mean in terms of like quadrants right the, the quadrant language can be very helpful i think part of it is um there, there are structural there are lower right changes you can put in place uh to kind of decentralize the power system. Um, or, or have some kind of like checks and balances, or you know, some a more democratic system. But I, I don't. I also think that a large part of it has to be an internal shift. It has to be a lower, a, a upper left consciousness change in the practitioners, and the, the people need to have. It has to be really culturally and, and affirmed explicitly in the teachings of any spiritual path, not to become, not to fall for the cult of personality trap. And it's so funny because Adi Shanti talks about this. You know, he, like, in his book, um, The Way of Liberation, I think he has five principles, and one of them is never advocate your authority. The first thing people do is they advocate their authority at the retreat. Everyone is like saying, oh, "Adi, you know, wherever you go, I'll follow you." And he's like, "Did you read the book, dude?" Like, <laughs> never advocate. So, so it's it's um, yeah, it, it's a uh, it, it's really a tough. It's hard to combat that deeply psychological and probably biological drive of humans to look for an authority figure, a father figure, a guru figure. And I think that has to be consciously, there has to be a conscious effort to combat that that tendency.
0: Right. So you think that should come from the comedians themselves, from the, guru, guru, the gurus themselves, or do you think that's a larger movement of practitioners saying, hey, wait a second, like this... There's too much opportunity for abuse here, so we should really organize ourselves differently and think about spirituality differently. And we can't do it the same way they were doing it a thousand years ago because um, we're not at that at that same place. Yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. And uh, that's kind of one of I think the the inspiration for my my spiritual counseling, you know, the my civic counseling app idea was was trying to develop that lower right system where people it becomes a cultural norm to to look for wisdom in other citizens who are not enlightened people but everyone has a different experience and everyone's and i think i think you know when you when you're talking to a friend right if you have a problem that creates a certain dynamic it creates a certain atmosphere in which you're able to have some insight or, or uh, be helped in a certain way that's very different than talking to a therapist a professional which is, of course, very different than talking to a guru. But I think once you start opening up the avenue to talk to average citizens who are not necessarily your friends, right? So there isn't necessarily that space of intimacy, but they're, but they're not trained professionals, and they're not spiritual authorities, but they're just like regular people. I really think that by that, you're harnessing the wisdom of the crowds, you're harnessing the wisdom of the average citizen. And that, to me, is a shift that I wanna I want to see become a cultural norm in spiritual circles.
0: You're dropping some terms: lower right, upper left, and maybe for our listeners. Hopefully, there will be listeners. Um, you can make explain a little more, just fundamentally, kind of the four quadrants and what you mean by that in the context of talking about systemic change.
2: So the four quadrant model is basically just there are different perspectives on reality. There are internal perspectives and external perspectives, and there are collective and individual perspectives. So the four different main perspectives are the upper left which is the interior perspective so it's it's basically subjectivity and consciousness so so meditation or introspection would be an example of that the field of psychology would be an example of that spirituality in general the upper right quadrant is the field of individual behavior of um external objects so generally sciences fall into that looking at someone's speech or behavior falls under that category and the lower left quadrant is social and collective and uh, collective interiors, so cultural values, that kind of thing, sociology, cultural anthropology, and then uh, or uh, social construction. And the lower right is the external systems that are in place, include laws and regulations, also economic, political, and ecological systems, the planet, things that you can see that are that are interrelated in a system. That's basically.
0: Uh, the quadrants okay and and why is it I mean to you why is it powerful or meaningful to think about in terms of four quadrants versus you know one or two or three of them first of all it's
2: very it's a very practical language to when you talk to other people who are aware of the quadrant um, because you can reference you can reference certain perspectives very easily using the jargon and you don't have to explain it every time I think it's really it's really important to to look at have the quadrant lens that you can use and for evaluating anything because it is really in theory kind of like the most holistic way of looking at anything you have all of your bases covered right if what ken Wilber calls quadrant absolutism is a problem when you think that one only you only focus on one quadrant to the exclusion of all of the other ones so one perspective colonizes and overtakes all of the other perspectives for example um if you're a biological reductionist that means everything is in the upper right quadrant so any kind of emotional internal states mystical experiences spiritual experiences are all just uh at neuronal activity and and brain chemistry so if you're depressed all you need is an antidepressant and that's all you don't need to worry about meaning consciousness emotions subjectivity just take an antidepressant and you're fine because that's what it says under a microscope so that's that's one example of problem when you only have one perspective and you can't look at other perspectives.
0: So let's, I mean, so let's bring that back to, you know, what we we're talking about in terms of all these sex scandals within spiritual communities and, you know, the current one being with, with Shambhala, like how would you respond or what, what are you seeing in terms of the response from the community and how would you advise differently or, or have a vision for how they can actually come together or grow from their from that experience?
2: Yeah. Well, I think mean, this will be an interesting discussion. It's not, I haven't, I haven't thought a lot about it. Um, I think I think one place to start. I'll put this out there, and I'll I'll see what you have to say. But I think as a starter, part of it is definitely the traditionalist structure that a lot of these spiritual traditions uh, are kind of placed in, like Zen or Tibetan Buddhism or some traditional Hindu uh, derivatives, some forms of the uh, like like Ananda, for example. I think that communities that are still very much that have been derived from traditional religions it's kind of a default mode of perception, right? It's a kind of a default operating system to, to look at the, the guru or the teacher or any of the teachers in that tradition as in the role of the guru as this kind of all-knowing authority. And part of that is is just the traditional lens that kind of comes with, as a package deal with the spiritual teachings. And so I think you have to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff and, and say, we can accept the spiritual teachings and we can accept the, the value of the sangha, the spiritual community, but we don't have to, by default, automatically place it in a traditional structure of, of power and authority that is consolidated into one person, one or two people. I think, I think that's a start, is to, is to kind of break with the tradition in that very specific sense of how power and authority has been, has been historically distributed um, in traditional religions.
0: So the teacher would kind of be... Uh a cool guy and that's just your friend basically and he's not imbued with special powers or knowledge and or insight he's just kind of like oh i'm like your santa claus buddy and i'll just like teach you some things that i've learned about i i think i think each community can kind
2: of find its own way to that that'll manifest but i think the key starting point is to extract the spiritual essence of what you want to promote from the traditional religious structure that it's i mean shambhala is an interesting example because I don't. I don't. You may know more about Shambhala than I do, but from what I understand, Shogyam Trungpa. I mean, he come, Obviously, he comes from a very rich lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, but he doesn't. It, it's kind of its own thing, right? It's kind of its own empire, kind of like how Ananda is is comes from the Hindu yoga tradition, but it's kind of its, it became its own thing. And so I think, I think that in some ways that's a good thing because you start to differentiate from the traditional structures and practices, right? The the amber blue structural practices that um, have been associated with traditional religions. But at the same time, they didn't go far enough in totally extracting it and separating from the traditional structure from which it was uh, founded in. So I think that once you, once you can, like for example, like Adishanti, right? I mean, he's, he's completely broken from his Zen tradition upbringing and, and, and the style that he does it. I think once, once it's done that way, if you, you can kind of figure out how what what the new role of the spiritual teacher will be but definitely not the all-knowing authoritative guru in the community but yeah i don't know i have to I have to think on it
0: yeah no it's interesting i actually i i i, I pretty much agree with your assessment of of shambhala i think what's interesting about the Tibetan tradition and i've studied quite a lot of it is that i, I think basically from Tibetan buddhism basically um, claims to have three turnings of the wheel right from the theravada mahayana and then basically the, the Tantrayana, and i think everything until like the highest sort of teachings well i, th- I think the entry-level stuff with mindfulness and that kind of stuff is very accessible but then the mid the mid-level teachings are, are usually very esoteric and are initiate initiate based and then the highest ones are even more esoteric and like quote unquote um sort of you need these initiations or empowerments from teachers you know that have lineage to actually access those teachings so i think I think you're right in terms of the essence can be extracted especially from things like zogchen or uh uh, the mantrayana. you know those kinds of practices which are very sort of awareness and consciousness based and in some sense extremely simple you know versus things like all the hundred thousand million things that you know the mantras and the guru visualizations and the thing you know all those kinds of more ritual types of practices which are very hierarchical and sort of stuck in that in the traditional mode i don't think you can really teach them outside of that mode um so i think the only way that that you know to many communities or to many religion can really be kind of essentialized and leave those hierarchical structures if they leave those practices you know behind in, in a in a real sense um, either by you know really innovating in a in, in a big way out of those things and you know may, find the real essence of something like guru yoga, and then um, changing it, but keeping it the way it is. And the thing is with, with traditions, right? It's all about lineage and tradition. So you keep those practices. They were passed down to you. They were secret from your teachers, and that's not easily left behind. I mean, to me, unless they can do that and focus more on the Dzogchen's type or, or just the you know the Sutrayana stuff, um, it's going to be really hard to leave those stru- the, the structures that, that enable those types of practices behind
2: so 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 here's a question since you have a lot more experience with tibetan buddhism than i do and kind of the more esoteric aspects because zen is the antithesis of esoteric practice right zazen is the most boring kind of unsexy unflashy
0: (laughs) well you know the the koan stuff the koan stuff you know and then you have shingon and the whole thing and you know sometimes they're blended together so there's definitely esoteric right right. um japanese buddhist traditions right but soto zen you know but the Zen itself, no not, not so much
2: yeah so so what you were saying was it, you need the traditional structure to empower these unique practices that if it was something like purely like a mindfulness meditation or Zogchen meditation or philosophy that's that's packaged in a way that's pretty conveniently exported to secular or non-traditional uh, models of spirituality, but if for other practices you need the traditional hierarchy and structure to empower those practices in the lineage mm-hmm. So so do you think that those traditional those those practices are worth it <laughs> like are they are they really like helpful or
0: should should we leave them behind completely yeah that's that's the thing because I think I think it's, it it depends on the person right some people you know really resonate with those ritual types of practices that are very highly adorned right I mean you're visualizing the Buddha fields and the hundred Buddhas and the, you know all the colors and the you know it's it's you know you're creating this live you know you know buddha field in your mind on some of these practices or whatever it is you know highly complex mantra practices or what you know purification these types of things so some people that really works for them and they they need that or they want that type of practice um as part of their 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 you know their awakening path right whereas and i and i I shouldn't misspeak i mean zog i mean the, you do have a transmission and usually the transmission is um kind of glimpsing the nature of mind right it's like that that one instant where you see your you know your the white light or your initial essence um and that oftentimes is the initiation even though to get to zogchen a lot of people have to go through the entire you know practice of tibetan buddhism from the sutrayana all the way through mahayana you know and and all the tantra practices just to get to zogchen but there are teachers who are now you know more modern thinking okay well zogchen really is the highest practice that we offer within tibetan buddhism and it is really accessible and you don't have to do all these initiations and you know teachers like or Rinpoche or like Anam Tipden or, you know, these kind of younger teachers who are in their thirties and forties now who grew up, you know, in, tr- in the traditional way, but have been influenced, I think by just the modern world, right? How quickly things are moving, how things are changing the students that are coming to them now are very, very different. Um, so, I mean, I would have, you know, the thing is, like it's, I think if you want to, you know, change the structure of these communities, for the future, I mean, to be more future-proof, then yeah, maybe you would want to kind of limit the the amount of ritual practices that, you know, are kind of supported by the lineage and hierarchy, but at the same time, that is a really powerful practice, and and there's a reason it survived for a a thousand years, um, is because of that, and so, you know, do you take away the soul of the tradition, in some sense, if you take away those things? I don't think so, I mean, to me, Buddhism is really about, it's really about the realization of the awakening, and, and you know, it's really about that aspect of it so that it should be a lineage of awakening versus a lineage of oh i have these 12 sick you know secret empowerments that no one else practices where i like you know jump around like a monkey and you know whatever it is that they do i mean they do crazy stuff um so it's you know those to me that's not as important but at the same time you know i'm not i'm not within the tradition enough to say those things should be preserved and how you know how dare you think you know that they shouldn't be um, but I think the larger and the larger context, yeah. If if it moves more towards um, a lineage of of insight, you know, versus a lineage of of tradition, then um, you know, I think it could avoid these kinds of scandals and and be more accessible and also really powerful. But you know, I, I just want to say something really quickly. Is I, I've
2: been I've been thinking about this too because you 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 elucidated that very well how. There's something there can be kind of a loss of the soul of the tradition, and I do think that that is an important thing to um, be concerned about losing in some ways. My my experience growing up with Daifukuji was was interesting because my mom is the the resident minister there, but she's not looked at as a spiritual teacher. She doesn't promote herself as a spiritual teacher. She's just the minister there whose job is to serve the community, whether that means giving the 98 year old lady a ride to the grocery store or doing funerals or go and help uh, someone's family where a family member just passed away. It's very practical roles in in which you serve the community as a minister in Hawaii. And I think that that structure has been, for me, one of the things I really love about Daifukuji is it is based in traditional Zen practices, um, scriptures, teachings, um, rituals, services. But... It includes a lot it includes a lot more than that and you kind of get the best of both worlds i think you get the best of the tradition you get the soul of the tradition which can be very very helpful for people who 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 as you said like really need that and i'll, I'll give you an example some of our um members at daifukuji have struggled with like alcohol and drug problems and some i would say like some mental health but not only mental health problems but like existential problems um re- relating to spirituality or, or problems you know interpersonal problems divorce whatever happens in life and what they got out of the traditional structure of religion the soto zen tradition of that was not something that you can get from secu, purely secular forms of mindfulness or of, or at a or at a yoga class for example right the the communal structure in which includes the devotion of the members who serve the temple the traditional practices like like getting a buddhist name getting um getting the precepts getting confirmed in that tradition it's very empowering for certain people and really gives them a lot of meaning and purpose and energy and vigor in their life to continue their practice amidst the incredible amount of psychological or interpersonal or existential difficulties they face and they wouldn't get that from purely close your eyes and take a deep breath and listen to the app for it you know <laughs> right there, there's something there is something to it it's like like for example when if there's a reason why there's kind of a uh, consonance between uh, alcoholics, anonymous recovery groups and Christianity and accepting God into your life. You need that kind of tradition of religion and the Bible and God and Jesus sometimes to overcome something as difficulty as severe alcoholism. Um,
0: can that, I, what, I, what I'm hearing is just this aspect of community and not just, but the aspect of community as a support mm-hmm. aspect for people's practice, right? Um, so can that be created in a different way you know that maybe doesn't necessarily have to be part of the hierarchical tradition or the traditional yeah that's of that, that. that's
2: that's kind of the central i think that's a, that should be a central theme of the podcast because but the, the question the question to me is like how much can you how much can you prune how, how much of the traditional manifestations of religion can you prune off while still retaining at least some of the essence of it some of the soul of it right
0: right I think trying to do it differently and and figure that out i mean shambhala is very traditional in that sense you know, even though their founder was a little iconoclastic and did things a little differently, they still set. They just set up. You know, they still set up meditation centers around the world. So they have two hundred centers, and you know, they have a council and a main teacher. And so, you know, they set up their, their organization organization kind of in a very traditional way. Um, we have someone like like Adi shanti who you know uses on you know the the internet as mainly as platform. Right, he has one office. He doesn't have centers around the world. He doesn't have authorized teachers and certified teachers and all that kind of stuff he just presents his message um, without necessarily trying to form a community around it Um, so yeah where where is that going right I I think you're right that that is and in some sense this podcast is trying to form um, a community as well people community of listeners a community of practitioners who um, can relate on a certain level right and and have a a like-mindedness in terms of Um, where they feel their spirituality is going and where, you know, spirituality is going in general, you know, with the, with the younger generation. So thanks for joining me in part two of my conversation with Ryan Nakade. We had a lot of fun making this. So if you want to hear more, especially about more contemporary topics through a contemporary lens, let us know in the comments of this podcast. And until next time, here's more of Ryan's spiritual raps.
1: I'm a philosopher, a lover of knowledge, think deeply of life and follow your call. And reason is a gift that keeps on giving. For the unexamined life is not worth living. I'm a philosopher, a lover of truth. Look deeply within. The answers are in you. Wisdom is a gift that keeps on giving. For the unexamined life is not worth living. Then came the analytic versus the continental. The reductionist versus whitehead, the transcendental. Wittgenstein's language game changed scene. Along with Bertrand Russell and Gottlob Frege with their radical mathematics logical tractatus matter-of-fact world with their rational analysis with two wars and fascist man was a backtrack and said the critical theorist the enlightenment had cracked even though the whole world was falling apart we still stand in absolute freedom said John Paul Sartre and men Husserl's world of phenomenology along with Martin Heidegger's ontology of being and time what's the meaning of the sign? to the epistemic holism of Van Norman Quine for and source signifies and signifies to Kun's revolution a new paradigm. I'm a philosopher. Knowledge, think deeply of life and follow your call. And reason is the gift that keeps on giving. For the unexamined life is not worth living. I'm a philosopher. A lover of truth, look deeply within, the answers are in you. Wisdom is the gift that keeps on giving, for the unexamined life is not worth living. Post-modernity, it's a journey to a new era of Reuté, Foucault, Leotard, and Derrida, all hailing from France, the principle of difference. Overarching narratives get lost. Taking on the power structures of modern oppression All can be summarized in this one lesson There is no truth, all is socially constructed Knowledge is coercive, so let's deconstruct it Your loss at Habermas Your inner contradictions in your ignorant Relativistic narcissistic system Communicative action to civilizations clashing To the end of history and the last man standing But this is where our story has thus far led us From the ancient Greeks up to the modern era The wisdom of life down in history's journal Knowledge can't ever die, for truth is eternal, I'm a philosopher, a lover of knowledge, think deeply of life, and follow your call, and reason is the gift that keeps on giving, for the unexamined life is not worth living, I'm a philosopher, a lover of truth, look deeply within, the answers are in you, wisdom is a gift that keeps on giving, for the unexamined life is not worth living, yo.